we go. Today, we're going to be talking about Paul, the pagan apostle. <coughs> and you go, pagan apostle? I never heard Paul called pagan apostle. Paul, in many of his, uh, in, this is in our Roman series, we're on Romans 15, where he's going to talk a lot about his relationship to the Roman church and his reason for coming. And we're going to get some insights uh, into <coughs> his ministry, and we'll get to that in a second. But I'm using the term pagan. Hey, Ben, can you grab me that bottle of water? Ben, I, I, I'm starting to get a frog in my throat. Right there, just let that, the used one. There we go. <clears throat> one thing I like about masks is they dry the daylights out of your throat. All right. Of course, I'm being facetious here. <clears throat> they do dry it out. But um, back to Paul. I'm using the word pagan. Paul identified himself in his letters, Romans letter, other, in, the, in the letter to the Romans and other letters. He identified himself as an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, now, what happens when we hear it in the 21st century, it really doesn't have any bite to it. It really doesn't have any impact to it because it's kind of a common word, and we really kind of want, that's kind of like someone who's not a Jew, and that's all it means to me. So I'm using a word that would be really felt in the first century when you said Gentile, and that's the word pagan. Now, pagan is a fourth century term that was developed describing those that were polytheistic, worshipped many gods, and uh, offered sacrifices to them. And uh, paganism was known as the religion of the peasants. Okay, you can probably tie peasantry together with paganism. You can, you can see the similarity in the words, and, and that's, what, uh, that's what paganism was in those days. So when Paul says, I'm, a, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, he was really an apostle to the pagans. Uh, and I'm using that term because we, we tend, in, in right now, especially American Christians and other Christians around the world, we tend to demonize the very mission field that we're called to love and to reach with the gospel. Uh, whether it's socially or politically or whatever's going on, all the tensions we have in our culture, we forget that those people are our mission field. And we may not agree with the way they think or their present attitude or what's going on, but you know what? Those people could be future apostles. They could be future, you know, business people to supply the, you know, money to take the gospel around the world. They could be future healers and evangelists and all sorts of things. Those, those people that are in a bad place right now, they are our mission field. You know, Paul, when he was talking to the Corinthians, he said, first, you guys, there were not many smart guys are among you, okay? There's some, but not many. It wasn't a compliment. It was his affirmation of the Corinthian church. There's not many influential people. There's a little few of you amongst you. And uh, there, there's not many who have any money, not from a noble ca you know, caste system. So we don't have a lot of people with money here because God's chosen the foolish things of the world. In other words, they were peasants. The early church was made up in its bulk of the poor, slaves. Even the critics back in the second and third century of the church is that they were made up of criminals and peasants and, sorry ladies, and women in a despiteful, negative way. You know, the philosophers would say that against the church. That was the populace of the church. And, and Paul said because they came out of that realm of people being polytheistic, they weren't really into just, uh, you know, Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, they were into the gods and Zeus and, you know, and, and uh, Aphrodite and everybody else that they would worship, and they would be involved in those particular cults. That was the people that made up the church. That was their wonderful congregation, okay? Paul was an apostle to those pagans, and kinda, because I really want to capture Paul's heart today in our, in our, in our series here, coming to a close on Romans, I want to capture his heart. We're going to be reading, I'm going to be reading sections to you out of Romans 15, 14 to 33, but I'm not going to spend time here reading about 20 verses out of a text because I got 15 ways we're going to follow Paul. But let me, let me just say this. Why follow Paul? Why would we make such a big thing about this guy named the Apostle Paul? Why would he be so important? And I actually have made it part of my life journey is to kind of model him and study him in a great way. I'm reading a biography of him right now, a biblical biography. It helps me capture the, the terrain, the, the culture, the architecture, the, the customs of some of the cities he was in and 
some of the things that nuances you won't catch out of the scripture of what he had to interact with and, and, and do. And it kind of makes the Gospels even richer. It's by John Pollock. It's called The Apostle. And just to capture his heart. I remember years ago, I was really moved by an Anthony Hopkins movie made for TV called Peter and Paul. I feel remember that. It was, it was, it, man, we're going back to like 81. Okay, we're going back into the ancient of days. Some of you were still a thought in the mind of God. But, uh, but uh, Hopkins played an outstanding Apostle Paul. I mean, it was just, it showed him preaching and him being marched to a whipping post. Preaching and being marched to a whipping post. And just his dedication. I remember Sue was just like taken back like, I mean, how did the Apostle Paul do all that he did? And I remember going on the back porch of my house, and I cried out to God. I said, God, put that spirit in me. Put that spirit that he had on me so that I could serve you with the same kind of a zeal. Paul, Paul said this, I urge you then, be imitators of me. This is one of the reasons why we follow Paul, because the Bible says in his instruction to us, I want you to imitate me. He said this to the Philippians. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It would be like you saying to someone you mentor, okay, you want to know how to follow Jesus? This is what I want you to do. I want you to observe me this year. Everything I do, you do. Everything I say, you say. Everything I watch, you watch. Everything I practice, you practice. Everything I give myself to, you give yourself to. You do this, you're going to hit the mark. Now, can you, can you say that? Well, Bob, that means I kind of got to clean up my act a little bit. I got to maybe get a little bit more in alignment. Exactly. I mean, we, we need to understand. Paul said, I want you to follow me and others who follow me and their example. And if you do that, you're going to hit the mark on this thing called the will of God. So what we're going to do today in this last part of Romans 15 on our series on Romans, we're going to talk about 15 ways... Paul followed Jesus. And if Paul followed Jesus in these ways, then we need to follow Jesus in the same way in the ministries and the sphere of influence that God's given us. We cannot be the Apostle Paul, okay, because we have a different grace gift. Jesus hasn't appeared to me like he appeared to him. Okay? I, I haven't received the same assignment that Paul uh, uh, had from Jesus, but I can follow his spirit and the way he approached the will of God. I can approach the will of God in the same way he approached the will of God. So let's see what Paul was like. The first is this, is that Paul, in following Jesus, possessed an apostolic heart to see healthy churches. You know, we just don't want churches, we want healthy churches. So what was a healthy church to Paul? Well, verse 14 of chapter 15, he tells us this. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, talking to the Romans, my brothers, that you yourselves have three things going for you. You're full of goodness. You have a good moral bent. You're full of good works, of love, of service to one another. You're full of goodness. The second thing you are, you're filled with all knowledge. In other words, you are intellectually equipped. In other words, you have good theology. You understand the doctrines of the church. You understand Jesus. You understand the tenets of the gospel. You understand the truth. You're biblically educated in the truth of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And the third thing is that you have this, that you are able to instruct one another. You are, you are, you are functional in your ministry to minister to the needs of one another. This is a healthy church that we're full of love and service in community and laying our lives down for each other, living for each other's welfare, that we're filled with good theology. That's why, why, why are you so like, you have to go nail that point so deeply sometimes? Because it's important to me. Because that point is missed. It's, uh, it's not going to work. I got a lawnmower. The engine runs great. You know what's the problem? It's missing two bolts. And it's, my, my engine falls off the chassis and it doesn't work. If two bolts are missing in our theology, we're going to not be able to operate. Theology is important. And thirdly is this, is that we are all equipped to minister one to another. That you are able to minister to one to another, to instruct one another, to encourage one another, to counsel each other, to coach each other. Paul looked at church that way. We should look at church that way. 
Second way Paul followed Jesus is if Paul was bound to one gospel that came from God. So he continues on. He says, but, you know, you were full of goodness, full of knowledge. You're, you were absolutely equipped to do ministry. But on some points when I wrote, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Well, what did he remind them of? Salvation by grace through faith. That's what the first half of the letter is about. I want to remind you very boldly that this is how we get saved. Because the grace given to me. Paul was given the task. This is why he's such an important person. It wasn't like he heard about the gospel secondhand. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared to him in a temple. Who knows what Jesus did when he spent time in Arabia and he received revelation of the gospel for what he called a three and a half year period. Jesus appeared to him. We also know that he was taken into the third heaven and revealed things that he could not even share with the church. He was bound to silence. He had not just a knowledge of God, he had a first-hand knowledge of Jesus. He knew him. Born out of a wrong time, he said, but I know him. He appeared to me also. He appeared to me also. He was given the task of laying the foundation of the gospel in the church of the first century that would be the foundation of the gospel throughout church history until the second coming of Jesus. Makes him a pretty important role. Now, when Paul's talking about the gospel, it's something interesting about Paul. He had great tolerance if people preached the gospel with bad motives. He said, you know, some people, when he was in prison, writing to the Philippians, he said, some, he said, some people preach the gospel out of envy and self-ambition, but I rejoice the gospel is being preached. Third chapter, that's the first chapter, he talks about the legalists. He says, beware of the dogs the mutilators of flesh, okay? He, he's not talking so kindly now to those who tweak the gospel. So Paul had zero tolerance to anybody that would alter the gospel. But he had great tolerance for the correct gospel to be spread, whatever the motive, God will judge you later, at least the gospel's getting out. That shows you how committed he was to this thing called the gospel. You know, Paul identified himself this way. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart to the gospel of God. He was bound to the gospel. It was his duty. He married it. It was his life. And one of the things about Paul with the gospel that we need to understand is that because of the gospel, he understood who he was not before the cross. He understood that he was a horrible person and fell horribly short of the glory of God. And it never left him. He later on wrote, there's a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And I am the worst. I am the worst because I persecuted the church. He was horrified by the maimed bodies and broken families and who knows, the martyrs that he was involved, martyrdoms that he was involved in. He wore it until he went into eternity. He was aware of what he was not, but he also was very aware of who he was because he embraced the cross because of the cross. That's why he says, I will not boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the world has been crucified to me, and I have been crucified to the world. It's the cross. I know who I am in Jesus. And the gospel shaped his life. It shaped his life. It molded him. You know, right now, it's kind of like, you know, better life now. Now, I, I like Joel Osteen. I really think he, he makes me feel good. If I'm depressed, I'll listen to Joel Osteen for 22 minutes just because I want to feel good. He makes me feel good. Okay? Okay? And, I, and you know what? It's important. He has a ministry of encouragement. Now, the problem is there's other aspects to that. We're not called to a better life. We're called to a cross life. We're called to be followers of the way. We're called to follow Jesus. And uh, sometimes a better life now to some Christians, actually, I'm not trying to be morbid today, actually means their martyrdom. Jess Strickland, who's been in our church a number of times ministering, he was in Nigeria, and he called a, a brother out of the crowd. And he says, God's telling me that you're going to be a martyr. That's your destiny. And a couple of years later, he was martyred. And we, well, this is America. God doesn't have prophecies like that in America. 
You know, we were called, we weren't called Christians back in the, in the birthing of our movement. We were called followers of the way. Followers, we weren't even called Christians at the beginning. We're followers of a way of life. We're followers of the gospel. We're followers of being shaped by the gospel. We're followers. Paul understood that in the gospel. He was set apart to it. Paul also, in following Jesus, and we need to be the same way, he knew his assignment from Jesus Christ. And how did God grace me? He graced me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in, this should be not he, I should change this between services, in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So he uses a metaphor, a metaphor of, of, of a metaphoric language of the temple of priests and offerings in describing his relationship to his ministry to the pagans or the Gentiles. He goes on, in following Jesus, the fourth way Paul followed Jesus is this. Paul saw himself in a priest offering as a priest, excuse me, as a priest offering what God did through him actually back to God. He goes on to say here, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What he was saying is, Lord, I, because of what you've done through me, I've announced the good news to the Gentiles about Jesus, your plan for them. And Lord, you, when I did that, they put their faith in you and you accepted them. It's acceptable. And by that, by your work of the Holy Spirit, you have set them apart to you. And now, Lord, what you've done through me, I offer back to you. It's yours. You know, hearing about, I don't know, 18 months? No, not, yeah, 18, 19 months. Pete's going to take the full helm of this church. And in essence, what I've done and, and others with me, I'm going to say, Lord, I take what you've done and it's your offering because you did the sanctifying work and I offer it back to you. That's what we do. Whatever our thing is, we offer it back to Jesus. It's his. It's his. You know, the Lord sanctified these pagans I'll never forget doing a youth retreat in Spokane. And uh, it was what, Rock Church, Church of the Rock, or the Church of the Rock, it was in Spokane there, Emily. That was a, something like that. I know they were close to the church that you were involved in. And they had brought these kids from fo a foster home, about I don't know, 10 to 15 of them. I mean, they were just like straight out of juvie. And uh, I tried to connect with these kids, you know, all weekend long. And I was doing pretty good, but man, we needed a, we need a, we needed a, Holy Ghost. What's that song? I need a Holy Ghost. We needed a Holy Ghost that night. So I said, Lord, I was Acts 1-1. That Jesus, what the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so I just started talking about the Holy Ghost and God just poured out his spirit on these kids. And they were all getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. One kid tried to run out of the meeting and one of the young men with me stopped him from running out of the meeting and got him back in. He got saved. He got filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'll never forget there was this kid Man, he was, he had full on, it was just, of course, I'm, I'm a youth pastor in the early 90s, late 80s. He had a full on mohawk, okay, he was a punk rocker. He had a t-shirt with a skull with snakes coming out of it. And I'll never forget, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit and he was speaking in tongues. He was like this and everyone's praying for him. And a, a girl, one of the kids from the church who was Korean, brought her counselor over and she interpreted, because he was speaking Korean in tongues, she was interpreting for her camp counselor what he was saying. They were writing it down in Korean. Now this kid, man, he'd walk into church and what are we going to do with this person that just came into church? <laughs> Jesus sanctified them by the Holy Ghost. By the Holy Ghost. That's what Paul says. It's yours. It's your work. I've given it to you. The fifth way Paul followed Jesus is that he knew who he was in Christ. He said this, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. And he said, well, that's kind of a weird statement. You're not supposed to be proud of your work in God. You see, Paul didn't see humility as something that looked like denying what God did through you. If God did something through you, you were to recognize it. You know, we have Mark Rabel and Casey and others and Shannon's up here and 
mean, God's blessed them with music gifts. God's doing something in and through in the area of worship that's enriching our lives. Jonathan over here, he's given himself to his gifts since he was a young lad. Man, he's still a young lad, but when he was a younger lad, okay, he gave himself to the gifts. We rejoice in what God's doing in it. It's not denying what God's doing through you. It's making sure what God's doing through you is for other people. That's humility. That what I have is not for me, it's a gift to you. I tell my team all the time, when you give a gift to somebody, what's more important, the person or the gift? Well, the person receiving the gift. Absolutely, that's right. You're the gift. They're the person receiving the gift. They're more important than you. Okay, it's important that we understand that, that we understand that concept, that we don't have to deny what God's doing through us. We also have to recognize what God's doing through us is really incomplete without the achievements of what God's doing with other people. And so Paul said, be sober-minded, for God's given everyone a measure, a measure of grace, a measure of faith in, in their gift ministry. So Paul was okay, but he was secure what God had done through him. But he also, the sixth way he followed Jesus is he saw ministry as work. How did Paul spell ministry? W-O-R-K. A lot of people think that, you know, if you're in the ministry, just let Jesus do everything. And No, 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 no. You're right. Paul said, I'm a co-worker with Jesus. He says this, of my work for God. Come on, it involves, even if you're volunteering, it's time and preparation and working with people and carrying burdens and serving and suffering with people and, and dealing with conflict and, and taking on battles. And it, it is work. Ministry, whether you get paid or not paid, it's work. You think, well, it's just supposed to be my yoke is easy and my, my burden is light. Jesus wasn't talking about the work of the ministry there. <coughs> he was talking about the legalism of the Pharisees compared to his doctrine of grace. That's what he was talking about. Ministry requires work. And if you're not going to work, you're not going to be used by God. I really want, one guy was in my office one time, didn't go to his church, but he, he saw me every so often for a mentoring relationship. He's bawling in my office. He's crying like crazy. Well, I, was, I see a sick person. I'm just, I'm just crying. I just, it, just, it just moves me. I said, why don't you just start laying hands on him and praying for him? Instead of crying and weeping, try to get him healed. One doesn't require work. The other does. Okay, we got to do the work of the ministry. Everyone say work. All my boomers and builders remember Dobie Gillis shows, okay? You remember Maynard G. Krebs, kind of the beatneck friend of Dobie, and every time he mentioned a job, he go, work, okay? Okay, well, that's what we got sometimes. We're just kind of like, work, it is work. That's why Jesus was asleep in a boat during a squall. Jesus, as a man, was fatigued. He was wiped out. He was tired, probably snoring through a hurricane. Because ministry requires work. Paul understood that. So following Jesus, we're going to have to be workers. Seventh way Paul followed Jesus is that Paul recognized the limitations of his gift grace. He recognized the limitations of his gift grace. He said this, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Now, one of the reasons why Paul said this, most likely, read commentators on this, they're all trying to figure out what Paul's trying to say here in this particular verse. It's very interesting. I never had a, a verse of scripture that I studied where everyone's kind of like falling all over the place. It's pretty evident to me. He, the, the false teachers and the false apostles that followed him along were taking credit for his work. And he wasn't going to do that to others. He wasn't going to, he was going to be sincere and genuine. I can't validate what others have done. I can only validate what God's done through me. I want to be sincere about it, genuine from it. But the other thing with Paul, he understood that he wasn't a one-man demon-kicking machine. I'm only going to talk about what God has done through me. On your assignment, God's going to do something through you. And when God does something through you and he does something through me, then we're going to build this thing called the church and extend the kingdom of God. It's going to take all of us. So I'm only going to talk what God's done through me. I don't have all authority over every area, but I do in some areas, and I will acknowledge that. The eighth way Paul followed Jesus is Paul called pagans to abandon their idols and commit themselves to obedience to God. So when Paul was talking about the gospel, it wasn't a cheap grace. 
just come and believe. He does all the work. You just enjoy and let him operate on you and go do life. You're free from, you know, restrictions. You can just go for it. Everything's great. And that's not the, that's not the gospel Paul preached. The gospel that Paul preached, his, his message was faith, yes, but it was faith that led to obedience. And Paul did this. He called the Gentiles, it says here, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. To bring to obedience. Now the message that he preached, he defines when he's writing the Thessalonians, talking about his time with them. And he says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you Thessalonians. This is well, this is Paul defines the gospel he preached. One, how you turn to God from idols. Now, the whole Bible is a book about idolatry. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment is that idolatry and following Jesus or having a relationship with God don't mix. You can't have idols and you can't follow Jesus. Now, we think because we don't have, you know, ghoulish statues and weird ritual rites, except in hidden corners and some satanic ritual, we don't have a problem with idolatry. But idols can come in all sorts of forms. Form of celebrities, form of image, and the form of power, the form of pleasure, the form of greed, and money, and security. I mean, idols can be in a lot of different, we have a lot of counterfeit gods. What we're not doing in our culture that we need to do in love, and we don't have to do it by being obnoxious or mean, We've got to call people out of idolatry. You know, Joe, I really love you to follow Jesus. I really would. But before we pray, I just need to talk with you about something. It's a thing called idols. If you're going to do this thing, we're, we're going to have to talk about things right now that are more important to you than God. And we might have to break some things off of your life. We might have to change. In fact, Joe, this is going to cost you. This is going to cost you. It's going to hurt. Everyone thinks it's really great, you know, that celebrities come and find Jesus until the celebrities themselves have to weigh out the price they're going to have to pay to be a follower of Jesus, especially in a culture that's into canceling culture. Make one biblical stand, cancel you out. Okay, what happened? I was really famous and I'm not now. Welcome to the family. Paul called people out of idolatry. He didn't do it in any form of self-righteousness or any form of, uh, you know, an obnoxious way or rudeness and, and without love. But we're going to have to talk about this thing called idols. He says, you turned from idols to serve, to serve the living God and true God. Come on, you, became, you need to become obedient to God in this faith and to wait for his son from heaven. In other words, you look and anticipate for the second coming of Jesus. That means you live with eternity written on your eyelids, as Leonard Ravenhill would say. You'll, you'll live because you're passing through this life, because Jesus is coming again. And the world is not going to get better and better and better and better and better and better. The world's going to be rocking and shaking and rolling. Don't be troubled by chaos in our culture. Don't be troubled by the world. I mean, it's sure not, it's not enjoyable. But it's only fulfilling what has been promised. Man to himself, this is what he'll create. Confusion, Babylon. And in that is a judgment to prepare us, to shake us, to come to Jesus. This is why the church has to rise in this hour. That's why we have to all be an apostle to the pagan, because we have a message to them. We wait for the second coming of Jesus. How do we know that? He was raised from the dead. Why did he be raised from the dead? Because Paul kind of works backwards on the gospel here. Because Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come, when he died on that cross, I and you, me and you, were saved from the wrath of God through his blood. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul preached. And if you diverted from that, he called you out. With nice names like dogs. <laughs> mutilators of the flesh. The ninth way Paul followed Jesus is that, is that Paul used two tools to bring the pagans to obedience. The word, which is the proclamation of the gospel, and signs and wonders. He said these, by word and deed, 
I made them obedient. By the power, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, Gordon Fee, who I like to read, he, I have to read everything he writes about four or five times to understand what he says, but I enjoy him. Gordon Fee is probably the top pneumatologist around as far as the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It says these, this, this thing by signs and wonders and by the power of the Holy Spirit are really modifiers or they, they deepen or clarify or make even more t intense the words, like an adjective, word and deed. That the, the deeds are signs and wonders and both the word and the deed take place by the power of the Spirit of God. Paul lived by the power of God. That's the tenth way he followed Jesus. He didn't follow Jesus in his own strength. He lived by his vitamins called the power of the presence of God in his life. I am a classic Pentecostal because I was saved out of so much and I knew when I got saved I didn't want to change smells and bells for just basically a little hymnal, a little 15-minute chat. I needed something. It's called the power of God. The power of the Spirit of God. Fee says it should be written this way to capture what Paul's trying to say. All of which is accomplished by the power of the Spirit of God. You know, in all our quest to, we want to see signs and wonders and miracles and see greater things and we should up our prayer life and we should fast and, and we should get deeper in the Word. I understand all those things. But in our pursuit, we shouldn't be so frustrated because the power of God's working in us whether someone gets healed or not. I mean, he sustains us. He gives us grace. And, you know, sometimes people ask me, Bob, how do, you, how do you handle it in the ministry? First, I don't suffer any more than you do. I just suffer in my own little category. You suffer in yours. So we all are in it together. But he sustains us. His grace is there to sustain us. Sometimes we just are overwhelmed emotionally, but somehow we got enough virtue to keep on going and doing things. And, he gives us wisdom. He gives us divine appointments. He gives us provision. He gives us supernatural guidance. He brings revelation. He touches and renews us. He pumps us up. He, the power of God is working in our life on a continual basis. And we've got to start recognizing everywhere that Jesus is working in the church. Because it's just as significant as a miracle because it's the same spirit that produced the miracle. I was telling the last service, I remember two girls, two ladies got saved in a service here. And uh, I, I met them after the service. Why don't you come in tomorrow? Let's talk. I wanted to get them started on a kind of a new way of following God. And, and uh, they came in. We're just right in the conference room right there. So I said, listen, tell me about yourselves. Well, we're just, we just were traveling through, and we just felt, let's go to church. So we just kind of looked up on the phone, found your church. We arrived here. We were just passing through I-5, yeah? Okay, well, tell me, you got saved yesterday. You gave your life to Jesus. How did that happen? Well, this is really strange. We came into your church, and we started singing the songs that everybody was singing here. But at the same time, both of us started singing those songs with a different language coming out of our mouth. We got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Tongues started coming out of us. They didn't know even the gospel. I've had this happen so many times. Well, it can't happen. you got to know that this can't happen before this happens. Well, I watched it happen. Too many times, and everybody became radical followers of Jesus. Don't tell me God can't just douse people. I said, well, let me explain what happened to you. <laughs> the power of God was at work. The power of God was working. He's working all the time through you, through me, through us. Come on, accomplish these things by the power of God. We've got to tap in to the Holy Ghost. The 11th way Paul followed Jesus is Paul was a man who gave himself to a strategic mission. You and I need to give strategies to the things God's called us to do. He says this, that from uh, Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Where's Illyricum? It would be what you know today as modern-day Croatia. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul had a strategy. He wanted to go to the urban centers of a region and there he preached the gospel and planted churches. And then from those churches, they would spread out into the smaller regions. That was his strategy. And he had hit 10 major urban centers, planted churches, and established that where like a virus was being spread out. That was his strategy. And he had saturated that part of the world 
that he, his, his service and his gift wasn't needed. He needed now to move west. You see, we see Paul as a theologian. If Paul was around today, we think he would be at like Asbury Seminary or, you know, he's going to be at, you know, some other Bible college someplace and I mean, George Fox and he's dealing with the theology department. He might come in as a guest speaker, but Paul was a missionary. Paul would be Kevin and Tiffany Gibb. Paul would be Alessandra and Marcia Pereira. Paul would be David and Sherry Guilford. Paul would be the guy that, you know, I haven't shopped the United States for four years, so I don't know what the latest style is. Okay, we live on weird food and weird areas, and this is what I do. This would be the Apostle Paul, because he was committed to a strategic mission because he was called to go after pagans, and that's what he was doing. He just happened to be the greatest theologian of church history. But in that, he was called to be a missionary. And this is why he writes to the Romans. He said, listen, uh, this is the, the reason, you know, that uh, I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, because it's fully saturated with the gospel, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, because he, he, he thought, I couldn't get to you sooner because I was too busy doing the mission. Hey, Paul, come and visit us. I can't. I'm doing my mission, and my strategy is not complete yet. When it is, I'm coming to you. We need to get strategies to our personal lives. What's God called you to do, and what's your strategy of broaching that thing? You see, Jesus accomplished that through you. Twelfth way, Paul followed Jesus. He was consumed with a single focus because time was short. He said this, thus I make it my ambition, my aim, my focus, my passion, to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named. I don't want to just go to other churches and just deal with people who have been saved for a long time. I love them and I'll serve them and I will balance this in a second. But I need to go get these people who have never heard about Jesus lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Here's the issue. We got to recapture a sense of urgency. D.L. Moody, one night didn't give an altar call for salvation at his church in Chicago, and that night was the famous Chicago fire. And he made a vow that he would preach the gospel to somebody every day from that moment out. He, they said he would go to bed at night, and if he didn't share Jesus with somebody, he would, oh, didn't share Jesus with anybody, get back out, he would get dressed, go outside, and find somebody to preach the gospel to. Then I said, I can go to bed Okay, go back home, undress himself, and get back into bed. We've got to get a, a sense of urgency that people need to hear the message. I know that, that maybe you're shy and you're timid. God will use you the way he made you. But you've got to have a sense. We just can't keep waiting. The fields are harvest now. Paul says, my focus, my foundation. I can't go back where other people laid a foundation. We've got too many people who are unreached. Keith Green, who was very, very radical, wouldn't say he had the mind of God, but he used to tell the, everybody in these concerts he would have, you shouldn't have a word from the Lord that you need to go to the nations. What you need is a word from the Lord that God wants you to stay. I know that's really radical, but he did capture Paul's mind. That may just be our neighbors across the street in our city that needs desperately the gospel of Jesus. But we need to capture this. Thirteenth way, Paul followed Jesus. He knew that he could not fulfill his mission without the church. So Paul loved the church. Not just that he needed the church to help, but he loved it. He served the Romans church. He was going to be there. He was going to build them up. But he was going to build them up because he was, he was only going to be there a short while. He was on his way to Spain. He helped the Antioch church for a year. Okay, he was a part of those things. Romans 15, 24, I hope to see you. Now notice this, in passing as I go to Spain, okay, I want you to know I'm visiting Rome. It's not like, woo, I have been wanting to go to Rome my whole life. I love spaghetti, okay? It wasn't like that. I'm coming to Rome, but it's like a Minute Mart stop. I'm going to get my munchies, fill up with gas, and maybe you can help me because I'm on my way to Spain. So I might be helped by you, by my journey there by you. I need the help of the church. need your prayers. I need money. I need resources. I might even need some people going with you. 
I want to enjoy your company for a while, that's great, but I'm on my way to Spain. My, my, my point is this, we need to see that this isn't just what God's about. It's about our mission, engaging in that world out there. Fourteenth way, Paul followed Jesus as he loved the church and honored its roots. Notice this. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to, owe it to them. They owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to, they ought to also, <clears throat> I lost my piece of paper, it's really good. They, they ought to, pick up my notes later. They ought to also, for the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of the service to them in material blessings. The Apostle Paul never forgot his roots. Israel is our mother. Now, I'm not saying that just because you're a Jew, you get saved. You don't. You don't. Everyone comes through Jesus. But Israel's our mother. We got the law through Israel. We got worship through Israel. Even the worship we did today, we got straight out of the Psalms. We got the promises from Israel. We got the Messiah from Israel. The church was birthed in Israel. The church was first Jewish before the Gentiles pagans were grafted in. So Paul is saying this. They, the, the believers, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem are our roots. And if we've reaped their spiritual blessing, if God wanted to bring a covenant to them that some of them rejected and we got grafted in, they should also then receive from us material blessings. My stronger point is this. Paul respected the roots of the church. And all his zeal he didn't get so spiritual, he forgot how he got there. We should respect the roots of City Harvest Church. That's why I refer to Dick Iverson all the time. We respect our roots. We should respect the roots of the church, roots of church history, the roots of the first century church. We need to respect our roots. We have received spiritual blessing from them. And in all our zeal, we should never forget that. When people do, I've watched them over and over again fall into air. We need to honor our roots. And last, Paul was a man of fervent prayer. He describes his mission before he could get to them. He says, I got to do this first. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. He wasn't taking it. He wasn't in his mind, I can just do this. I got it. I'll get to Jerusalem, drop the offering on, and head to Rome. That I may be, he asked, I want you to pray for me, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And a mob wanted to kill him. And a bunch of other people made a vow not to eat until they killed him. And he had a cavalry regiment and an infantry regiment escort him out of Jerusalem to go to Capernaum. And, I mean, he had to have a, a guard the whole time because people wanted to kill him. He was delivered from unbelievers in Judea. And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints this offering I'm bringing them, that they would be blessed, that we share in their pain and we honor their roots, that it would be accepted. So that by God's will, once I do this, I can come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Isn't it interesting that I may come to you in God's will? <laughs> God's will. When we pray, God, your will be done, we just think God's going to make this thing that's like a smooth highway. It's going to be good. I mean, let's look at Paul's God's will, okay? They wanted to kill him. They put him, they, they had to escort him out because people made a vow they were going to murder him. He was under house arrest or in prison in, in, in just Judea for two years. Then he was put on a boat. He appeals to Caesar as a prisoner. He gets to be on a boat, goes through hurricanes and squalls. He gets shipwrecked. He gets to hang on a boat in the middle of a hurricane. I mean, a piece of board in the middle of a hurricane. He gets to shore, he gets bit by a poisonous snake, okay, and he comes to Rome finally after a revival on the island of Malta as a prisoner after all this suffering. But you know what? God answered his prayer. You know what our problem is in the United States of America? We don't like the way God answers our prayers. He actually answers them. 
but we just don't like the way he answered them. That's, that's not what I asked you, Lord. I said, that, no, I got you there, didn't I? Yeah, you did. I got you there the way I wanted to get you there, to form in you what I wanted to form in you, to get out of you what I wanted to get out of you. But I got you there. Because I am Lord. I want the Spirit to burn in the church. Let's stand to our feet. I asked Casey, Casey introduced me to this song, and he was not going to sing this, but I wanted him to sing this song because I want to go back to what Paul said. I made the Gentiles obedient through word and deed, through signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. <laughs> you know what? We're going to quit being, you know, so we, I want to be not weird, a weird Pentecostal, but you know what? I don't want to hide that I'm a Pentecostal. I don't want to hide that I believe that the miracles of the first century are the miracles of the church today. Now the fancy word that sounds so much crueler is that we're a continuationist. Oh, I'm a continuationist. That sounds better over coffee with my beanie on and my hoodie. Okay. But, you know, I, I'm a Pentecost. I believe in the power of God. My roots go back to Azusa. My roots go back to the Jesus people movement. My roots go back to the Catholic charismatic movement. My roots go to basements. My roots go back to basements of churches with tambourines and guitars and nuns prophesying and people laid out under the power of God. I mean, that's my roots. But it's the roots that saved me out of mental illness. It's the roots that saved me out of suicide. It's the roots that saved me out of just being having death written all over me. It's the roots that got me to where I am to here. That is what's going on. We had started City Harvest Church. Six weeks in, I decided to go to a hotel for a couple of days and pray, like, all right, Lord, we're starting this thing. What do we do? And I wanted to make sure everything was right in our services. And the Lord spoke to me. This is, this is the word of the Lord. It came out of that pastor. Why? why? No, please, if you come from this background, I love them dearly. I didn't call you, Bob, to be a Baptist. Oh, God loves Baptists. He loves Baptists. I love Baptists. God loves Baptists. God is a Baptist. He said, that's, that's not what I did to you. That's not what I did through you. That's not who you are. I saved you. You were a nutcase by the power of God. And that's how you're going to build the church. I like anybody as a pastor, staff pastor, part of the vision team, you come on up here. And Brandy, you come on up here to pray for people. If you want to get up here. You need... You need God to answer a prayer in your life. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. It's just you need prayer. Paul didn't just say, I'm just going off to Jerusalem and off to you, then off to Spain. He says, strive together with me in prayer. So we need to start praying. Casey sings a song about being a house of miracles. Try to join along if you've heard it. Read the words up here. Come on up and get prayer here. We have a few minutes. I know we went long today, but I felt it's such an important message. Come on up and get prayer. This is a house of worship. This is a place of praise. Where every demon trembles. Where we proclaim your name. This is a house of healing. Our hearts are full of faith. We have your full attention. You have the final say. Come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. There's 
resurrection power. Your blood runs through our veins. Your kingdom triumphs over even the coldest grave. We sing, come alive. In the name of Jesus, come alive. In the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. We sing, come alive. In the name of Jesus, come alive. In the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. Amen. We went a little bit longer today, but it's okay. We need to lay this foundation. Lord, let the name of Jesus be spoken in this house with people who have a relationship with the Jesus whom they speak in his name. Let that name be backed by us being in alignment with you. Let that name be spoken by people who love you with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And Lord, because of that, may that name, because you know us, have power to heal, power to deliver, power to change seasons and directions. Thank you, Lord. And in that, Lord, we have your power to fulfill the mission you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. They're ministering up here. My wife wanted to remind you that Lisa Bolt speaking here on Thursday night at Women Mentoring Women. I want to give you that announcement. God bless you guys.